We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and we are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. I am recording this on Thursday evening, and the show, it's just going to be me, no Charlie this week. Um, The Minnesota Timberwolves are in the midst of a six-game losing streak with the Los Angeles Clippers coming to town tomorrow night. Yikes. Um, It's it's a time of the season where they got to kind (laughs) of... Figure it out. Otherwise, the this uh, these playoff hopes are going to kind of slowly slip away. Somehow, at ten and fourteen, they are only one game out of the Western Conference playoffs from from the eighth seed right now. But I feel like on a lot of these podcasts recently, been doing a lot of guesswork on how what are the odds that the Wolves are going to make the playoffs? What needs to change schematically? This and this and this. And today we're going to kind of. Uh, Zoom out a little bit, and with December 15th, as I'm sure many of you are aware, uh, trade season kind of sort of kicks off the 150 players or so who signed one-year contracts become trade-eligible trade um, on Sunday. So it will start the conversations, as this week we've already heard a little bit about how Robert Covington is desired by teams around the league and how all sorts of all sorts of guys, Kevin Love in Cleveland, all that. But as we know in Minnesota, the we've been waiting for this date for the reason that D'Angelo Russell becomes uh, trade eligible on December 15th. So I'm going to dig into all that. I asked for mailbag questions from you. Probably about 50 of them uh, were related to Russell. So I'm just going to walk through what the the trade options there would look like because to, to me it's a little bit frustrating to see oh the wolves need to trade for d'angelo russell by any means necessary and I, I just think it's important to understand what those means are what what the timberwolves have to offer and what golden state situation is they just they're not just going to give away russell there's going to be an exchange and we need to understand what um what Golden State might want and what the Wolves have to offer and see if there is something that meshes up there. So I've spent some time kind of digging through what the assets are that the Wolves have and um, what it might be that I would guess would work for Golden State. So before we get to the mailbag, I'm just going to plow through five five minutes, 10 minutes or so of D'Angelo Russell speculation. So that in one second. All right, so the place to start, I think, when we're talking about Russell is assessing what pieces on the roster the Timberwolves have that are assets, positive assets that would make sense to go to Golden State in a trade. 
The first place we can start there is with draft picks. The Timberwolves have all of their picks, all of their first round picks, all of their second round picks. The only real restriction they have there is you're not allowed to trade first round picks in back-to-back years. So if they were going to give up multiple first round picks to Golden State, it would need to be the 2020 and the 2022 or 2022 and 2024, whatever. Um, They have all their second round picks. And also uh, in that Robert Covington, Dario Sarge trade, they picked up a second round pick from Philadelphia too. So they are asset rich um, in that sense of, of draft picks. But we kind of have to assume that Golden State would not only want draft picks coming back as, as the positive assets in the deal. So then you kind of move to what is on the roster that would be um, players that would be attractive at their price point. And when I went through it, I nailed down four guys who I think we can say are for sure positive assets. And the number one, that's Robert Covington. He um, is in the second year of his contract, including this year. He has three years and $36 million left, which obviously makes him um, a very attractive piece to any team in the league. It's the reason teams like Houston are saying they're interested in him. He has a skill set and a price point that everyone would want. Then the other three assets, I think, on the roster are the young players. Jarrett Culver, who's in the first year of a four-year, $26 million deal. Josh Okogie, has, including this season, has three years and $9.3 million left on his contract. And then I think to a lesser extent, there's uh, Keita Bates-Diop, who's essentially on a minimum contract this season and has a non-guaranteed minimum next year. So that's two years, $3 million left on his deal. Those would be the assets that I think Golden State would be looking at in this sort of trade. Now, we got to make the money work. So salary fodder, not positive assets, would need to be going out to match salaries with D'Angelo Russell. Russell makes $27.3 million this season. So for the Wolves to quote-unquote match that, they would need to be sending out $21.8 million. So you could play around on the trade machine however you want to find a way to put together $21.8 million, but that is going to require something more than Covington, Culver, Okogi, and Bates-Diop because those four, even all together, if you were just to send it to Golden State in exchange for Russell, would not be enough money to make it work. The other important element you need to kind of factor in here is that Golden State is hard-capped. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more in a second, but essentially, by doing a sign-and-trade for D'Angelo Russell they can't take back more money in a trade than they send out. So there's, for no reason, can the Wolves send out more than $27.3 million. So that could bring us to Andrew Wiggins, but I'm going to kind of leave him out of this. It's a much more complicating uh, factor. It would probably include need to include a third team because it would um, exceed that salary number. So I think the two main salary fodder pieces you have to look at are So we kind of come to know Jeff Teague, who makes $19 million this season and then becomes a free agent. And then there's Gorgie Jang, who, including this year, has two years and $33.5 million left on his contract. And that is 16.2 for this season. So the combinations that would get you to that $21.8 million minimum that you would need to send to Golden State are Teague and Culver, because that would be 24.8. Teague and Okogie would not work. So you need to do Teague, Akogi, and Keita Bates-Diop, and that would get you there, 22.9. Now, if it's Gorgie Jang in the equation, he makes $2.8 million less than Jeff Teague. So Culver would still work. Jang and Culver together make $22.0 million. So that would work as a straight-up exchange for Russell. But Jang and Akogi would come $3.1 million short, or Jang, Akogi, and Bates-Diop would come $1.7 million short. So if it was Jang and Akogi... You need to add Jake Lehman. That would be his $3.6 million. That would make the salaries match. And if it was Jang, Akogi, and Bates-Diop, you'd still need to add another one point seven. So that would be something like Noah Vonley or one of those other minimum-type contracts like Napier or Trevian Graham. So that really leaves us five. Five salary figures that work as a, as a combination in exchange for D'Angelo Russell. Tegan Culver, Teague, Akogi, and Bates-Diop. Jang and Culver, Jang, Akogi, and Lehman, Jang, Akogi, Bates, Diop, and Vonley. 
So those are kind of the five. That gives you an idea of things that would work. Now, what the next step of that would be, you know, how many draft assets also would need to be attached to that. I can't know that. You can't know that. Is it one first? Is it a first and two seconds? Is it three firsts? I don't know. That's a part of this equation that we can't we can't solve. And I mean, ultimately that will make the decision, but what we know is the money. So let's move to the Golden State side. And again, like I said before, Golden State hard capped themselves by doing a sign and trade for Russell this summer. That's just the league rules. So they are in this really weird spot where they sit $375,000 under the hard cap, which means they're not taking back any more money. That's still workable. It just it just means you got to get a little bit more creative. And in the Wolves' sense, it kind of precludes Andrew Wiggins unless you make the deal a lot bigger. The other thing we need to look at is Golden State's sort of trade window here that they have. Um, their goal is ultimately to get something back. If they are going to trade DeAndre Russell, their goal would be to trade him for a piece or pieces that increase their overall odds of winning a title. They're five and 21 this year. So adding a piece that immediately helps them doesn't have the intrigue that you would have with another sort of team who wants to buy now and improve their odds of winning. That is not in this equation at all, which really is important as it pertains to the Warriors trade window, because they don't have to do this now. They don't have to do this at the deadline. They can wait. They can wait to, the offseason, and specifically July 7th when the new calendar flips over. The reason it's July 7th is because they have what is called a trade exception. They traded to create space for D'Angelo Russell. They traded Andre Iguodala to the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies had cap space, so they just absorbed Iguodala and no money was sent back. That created a $17.2 million trade exception, and this is really an important factor as it pertains to Golden State because we know the Warriors, even though they're bad right now, they have these good pieces and they're really capped out for the next handful of years with Curry and Thompson and Green, even outside of Russell. So what this trade exception means for them is it's their route to getting another expensive player on this team. With the trade exception, they could take in the salary of someone else and not need to send anything back out. They don't have any money that would be able to match a contract that's 10, 15, $17 million. So this trade exception is really valuable for them. Take, for example, the, the two I, I wrote down are someone like Marcus Smart or JJ Redick. Take Redick, for example. He makes $13 million next year. So if New Orleans wanted to trade JJ Redick, <clears throat> they could with Golden State without Golden State needing to send anything back. The Warriors could say, we'll give you a first-round pick if you give us J.J. Redick. And then if New Orleans agreed to that, or if it was a first and a second, whatever the, the compensation was, now boom, Golden State has J.J. Redick on top of everything else they have, including DeAndre Russell. So we're talking about Russell, Curry, Thompson, Green, and Redick, or whatever. Choose your player who makes money within the teens. If the, if the Warriors can get a team to agree to that with draft compensation, that is the way that Golden State builds this thing out to be even bigger. So the other important date to look at, though, is, is when the Warriors are no longer hard capped because they couldn't do that J.J. Redick deal um, now or any time until July 6th when the league calendar flips, and that is when the hard cap is removed. So... Ironically, or whatever it may be, the Warriors currently have this 24-hour window on July 6th to July 7th to use that trade exception to get a relatively expensive player to add to their team. It's probably the way they assert themselves into being a contender next year or a contender for the next two, three, four years, whatever it may be. That's their path. So again, I say that because... Golden State is not incentivized to act now. They are incentivized through the trade exception to make a deal July 6th, which is a long, long ways away. So if you're the Wolves and you are adamant about trading for DeAndre Russell by any means necessary, as many people are, you need to find a way to 
incentivize Golden State to do that. Now, one way to do that would be just to throw even more assets into the deal. Make it, instead of two first-round picks for one of those salary fodder packages, you make it three first-round picks, something like that. But that, at some point, Kirsten Rosas in the front office is going to not pay any means to, to go get him. So they need to find other ways to do that. Now, what they could do is they can make that trade exec- exception even bigger for Golden State. So remember how we had that Jang and Culver package, right? We got Jang making $16.2 million, Culver making five point eight. So what's unique about Jang is that sixteen point two fits into that Igadala trade exception. So legally, the Wolves and Warriors can make a trade on December 15th or any time before the trade deadline that was Jang goes into the trade exception and Jarrett Culver is traded straight up for D'Angelo Russell. Now, of course, more assets are going to need to go into that. I don't know, to call it two first-round picks. But if that was attractive at all to the Warriors, they would have extra incentive to do it because by making that trade, using the trade exception, they would actually get a bigger trade exception because Russell's salary of 27.3 would be subtracted by Culver's 5.8 because that is the trade that's happening. And now they have another new, bigger trade exception of $21.5 million. So you might be thinking, okay, that's only $4 million more, but think about how much that expands their pool of players that they can get. Now, now you can go and get guys that are worth that cost 18, 19, 20, 21 million dollars. What about a guy like Zach Levine, 19.5 million, Aaron Gordon, 18.1, Miles Turner, 18 million, Victor Oladipo, 21 million. That is probably more of a needle mover than JJ Redick would be, or really anyone in that kind of 50, like 12 to 17 million dollar range that they had before. So that gives them extra incentive. It also gives them a whole nother 12 years or 12, sorry, 12 months of the trade exception. So they're not just jammed into that July 6th, 7th, 24 hour window. They can now wait to make a bigger move for a Levine, a Gordon or whoever, somebody who makes up to $21.5 million. So that would be, in my opinion, just as important or at least somewhat important as as another sort of asset that, that could pick up. It would be it would be a way to inadvertently help Golden State build something bigger down the road. And I think that's kind of the way I think that's the way that this type of deal would happen now if it did. Now there's a whole bunch of complicating factors. We don't know if that will will happen. But I think if we want to have a conversation about the Wolves trading for D'Angelo Russell this season, in season, December 15th on, that is a factor you need to look at, and those are the salaries that would need to be going out. Now, the important thing to note is that that whole boosted trade exception thing, that doesn't work if Jeff Teague's in the deal. Because remember, the current Iguodala trade exception is $17.2 million. Jane can fit into that. Teague cannot because he makes 19. So that's what we know. We know that that for the Wolves and for the Warriors to make a trade that they need to send out $21.8 million minimum, maximum 27.3, and that there's a lot of reason to believe that the salary fodder in that deal, if it's outgoing, would be Gorgie Jang. And that kind of opens up a whole new can of worms of, now what are the assets? I don't know that. I know what the salary structure is. That's what it looks like. That's the equation we have to go forward and try and solve here for the next couple months as we play hypothetical GM. But when you're thinking about a D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota Timberwolves trade, if it's in this season, that is the lens that I would look through. All right. We have a bunch of mailbag questions. We'll see how many of these I get through. Uh, I tried to kind of focus at least initially on the ones that are adjacent to the trade deadline. So um, we'll go with those first. And the first question I have here is from Bradley Smith. 
And he said, I would like to know what all the alternatives to D'Angelo Russell are actually. Who are the other game-changing players we could chase if the price for D'Lo is too high? CJ McCollum, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley. Those are some. Those are those are uh, those are options. Uh, Bradley, uh, I don't know what they all are. It's it's complicated. We've talked about this on the pod before. Uh, a lot of the the lead guard type of guys that we like to think of that would be an ideal fit are, are really expensive and would be really hard for the Wolves to kind of maneuver a deal together. I think CJ McCollum kind of serves as a, a beta for that, for a, a lot of the guys around the league who have now signed max-type extensions. I mean, McCollum is in the first year of a five-year, $157 million deal. He's making $27.6 million this year. So, I don't know, even if everything went to crap in Portland and they wanted to trade McCollum, the Wolves got to find a way to send out money to match that. And, I mean, again, as we're looking at it, like... What are the what are the options that the Wolves have money wise to make it work? I mean, we're obviously scratching off Cat Wiggins. I guess you can you could put into that. I I don't I don't necessarily see the feasibility of a McCollum Wiggins like challenge trade there. And then if you wanna if you wanna keep the core the the Cat Wiggins Covington core, now you're talking about Gorgie Jang and Jeff Teague are the other way to make that work. I highly doubt that's happening. So. I think it's it's astute to kind of bring up some other guys who who aren't on those max contracts that that are that are theoretical other options because I think if the Wolves do eventually make a move for an impactful lead guard, it probably is a player like this. And I think he, he Bradley brings up Karis Levert, and that that was a that was a dude I had my eye on. I, I was thinking at the beginning of the year, he has the Brooklyn connections, as we know that's um, important as it connects to this new regime. Um, with Gianluca Pascusi, who was there in Brooklyn before. Pablo Prigioni was there before. The style of play that Brooklyn used last season was, uh, I mean, was one that the Wolves were seeing or, you know, trying to implement largely. And and so for those reasons, yeah, Kyrus Levert makes sense or made sense. But he's now signed uh, a extension before the season that is for three years and $52.5 million dollars that completely complicates it and pretty much rules it out as a possibility. When you sign an extension like that, you get a, what is referred to as a poison pill um, attached to your contract where the uh, the money outgoing counts as your mini little rookie salary uh, number, which is like 2 million for Levert. And then your outgoing number is the like average of your extension, which is, will be something like 17. So it's, it's almost impossible to finagle. So particularly with Karis Levert, that's one that they couldn't even begin pursuing until the offseason. Now, someone like Spencer Dinwiddie is another one, another name brought up here. He is um, already in the first year of his extension, which is for three years, $34.4 million, which is essentially Covington money. So if the Wolves are going to match that, I mean, kind of the natural connection to make is Covington. And I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't see Covington being traded just big picture here for someone that isn't a young player that really meshes up with cat and cat's timeline. And also I just think it needs to be something that cat is really pleased with. I mean, I, I, I can't understate how much cat admires Robert Covington. And if, and I don't know, I think you could frame it to him in a way. And I think he would buy in if it was a, was a Covington for DeAndre Russell sort of deal. We didn't even really talk about that specifically in the the Warriors option. But if, if somebody like that, if Russell's coming back, you know, then that's, I think that's more palatable for Cat. You start talking about a Spencer Dinwiddie or another just a different type of role player than the role player that Covington is. And I think that's a hard pitch to Cat because he, he just really admires him. I think Cat really feels that playing next to Covington is a great fit for him. And... I just think it'd be a bold move when we know that one of the most important things here for the Wolves is keeping Cat happy, and that type of move would just serve as a big risk. So I would probably cross off Dinwiddie too. Now Beasley and Morris are different. Um, they're they're more bit players, and their salaries are comparatively bits as well. 
Beasley makes 2.7 million this season and then he becomes a restricted free agent. Monte Morris is 1.5 million and then 1.7 million next year, non-guaranteed. So so super cheap. That pre- which presents kind of a whole different sort of money question of how do you how do you make the money work there? Are I they're probably not going to just take back Trevion Graham and a swap there. So you got to kind of we're talking about probably sizable assets going out if it were to, to Denver, if it were to be for Beasley or Morris. And I mean, that could be, that could be draft picks. That could be Josh Okogie. I guess it could be part of a bigger package, but I just think, I just think you're giving up a lot. And with someone like Beasley, who's going to be a restricted free agent next summer, I don't, I mean, we, we kind of learned in the Dario Sarge thing is that that's a, that carries some risk of, are, are you sure you want to pay this player? when they, they come up and restricted free agency. So I think, I think Beasley is, uh, is less likely there because you would just get a half of a season before he hits free agency. And then, um, Monte Morris, uh, they, yeah, I mean, that's one of the best deals in the league. He's a bonafide rotation player and he makes nothing. So, and it would very much fit with these problems that we're seeing in the wolves backcourt and their problems with shooting. I mean, he would help. Can you, can you line that up? I'd, I'd be I'd be skeptical. I, I don't really see a deal there that could work. But I do think, even though I think Beasley and Morris are less likely, those are more the type of moves for a lead guard that I could see happening because it wouldn't be so complicated with the massive amount of money. It would be complicated in the money that you're going to need to pay those guys in the future. And if we can take anything from Rosa's and his Rockets tenure, it's that... They built that team studs and duds. And I like Beasley and I like Morris or, you know, guys like that across the league. But I, I think what you're going to see this team be built as is, is more with two or three really high salary guys and nobody really in that middle ground. And Beasley and Morris are eventually going to get to that middle ground. And I think that would be, I, I would I would guess this front office would see that to be preventative. All right. Next question. Drew Chuck says, is Jeff T gone by the deadline? If so, what type of player do we think we could get for him in return? I mean, my heart says yes. And my, I don't know. My head says yes. My heart says no. I don't know. It's just complicated with Jeff T because of course it makes sense. Um, to, to move in a different direction um, from him. He's not an awful player, but his skill set is clearly does not mesh with the style of play that the Wolves are trying to incorporate this year. It's um, where we very much in these past few weeks, even when Teague has been playing well, that it has think things haven't meshed together. And uh, he, I know a lot of you out there are very, very frustrated with Chef Teague. The frustrating element of this as we, as we think about potentially trading him is his $19 million salary. Even if there was a team out there who, you know, is, you know, a playoff team and their point guards hurt or they need a good backup point guard. Even if that team is out there that, and craves Jeff Teague, what is the, what is the swap money wise? How, how do you match up? How do you match up the salary in that sort of way? I mean, there would have to be $19 million coming back to the wolves. And so Maybe if that's just a one-for-one one sort of like exchange. I know this team doesn't totally make sense, but Alan Crabb makes $18.5 million in Atlanta. Like, would 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 is Crabb good at 18.5? No. But does he fit Minnesota better? I don't know. I mean, he's a shooter. Maybe something like that. But it's just, it's just hard. I, I think it would end up needing to be some sort of three-team trade and very complicated. I, I think the way that Jeff Teague's off this team by the deadline. If he is, it's because he's been bought out and they just decide to kind of, you know, move forward without him. And I think that path becomes a little bit more realistic. If the wolves are, you know, we get close to the deadline and there's something like 18 and 28 and the playoffs have kind of drifted into more of a distant dream. And now you're, you're focusing more on development and you want to see Jared Culver out there at the point more. You want to see Wiggins. You don't want that 28 minute, blockade of Teague, which I, I know some people already are already ready to get off of that. But as of right now, how Saunders and the front office feels about their team and they're you know trying to stay competitive, 
just cutting ties with Teague completely right now, you know, wouldn't wouldn't make any sense. So we'll see if a team you know presents itself to to find a way to swap nineteen million dollars. I don't know how that's happening, uh, but you know, a lot can change here before between the December fifth deadline and I'm blanking on what the actual. I think it's February fifteenth is the is the actual trade deadline. So we'll see. Got about two months there to for Jeff Teague to you know to let us know who he actually is. And for the Wolves to let us know who, who they are, because I think if they stay competitive in the playoff hunt, it's more likely that, that Teague stays. If they fall out of it, I wouldn't be surprised to see a buyout. All right, Lex Drury. This is or this is tied to uh, to Teague as well. And I just wanted to hit on this because, as I'm sure all of you saw, there is viral video going around of Cap being really ticked at... Uh, at Teague for not passing on the ball there. And that's, you know, it's kind of popped up a few times uh, this season. And I, Kat was asked about it yesterday. So I'm just going to read what his quote was and the, the way that Lex put it in his, in his question, he goes, was, was Teague not passing to him Teague's death knell for the rest of the season? And I don't, I don't think it was. And, and Kat, Cat certainly didn't seem to either. He said, no, Jeff made a strong move going to the basket. It was aggressive. It was one-on-one too. He's been amazing lately as well. I was just being aggressive. Anyone watching the game could see I was being more aggressive than usual. When a losing streak like that happens, your star player has to come out and do, do different things and be even more aggressive to stop the bleeding. I came out that game with a lot of fire. I just wanted to stop the losing. I wanted to stop the bleeding. I wanted to put us on the right track. Throughout the game, I was trying to be aggressive. Obviously, a game like that where you have a four-game losing streak, you're going to most likely want the ball every single time. So that's his excuse. And what I, you know, obviously a very politically correct answer there, but just just from my, you know, time around those guys a little bit seeing how they interact, like I, I Jeff and Carl are are cool and that's that's kind of always been the way I've seen uh, them interact. And I think, I think uh cat is much more pro Jeff Teague than uh, maybe a lot of other people are. He, he recognizes that this team does need secondary creators and that when Jeff is being assertive and aggressive that, that he can be that. So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't extrapolate too much cat Teague angst to that. I think it was, I mean, Cat is very vocal with his emotions on the floor, and and that was just an instance of that in you know the midst of a losing streak and about to lose again to Phoenix. So that's what I have there. All right, Dan Hilton uh, says discussions between you and Charlie often seem to resolve to a bigger, less mobile guy next to Cat is bad because there's less spacing, and a floor spacer is bad because our front court will get bullied. My question is, who is the ideal slash realistic for for this team? I'm generally interested in your answer. Well, Dan, I, I think you're right um, that those two things don't mesh, that there isn't room for an ideal four if the the bigger, less mobile guy gets in Cat's way and the floor spacer isn't you know strong enough defensively or rebounding-wise. And that's why... Um, I mean, I don't know how realistic this is, but I think the ideal situation might be playing Cat at power forward and having him be that stretch four. And and that would mean next to him having a big five. So, you know, someone who can both defend the rim and stretch the four. I think that would be ideal, in my opinion. And I don't think that's like some shot at Cat's manhood or physicality. I think, you, you know, you look at you look at Giannis in Milwaukee and I don't think Giannis is soft for playing next to Brooke Lopez, who is a very big center, who is a deterrent on the rim for them, around the rim for them defensively. And, and he stretches the floor as a five for them on offense. I, I think, I think that's a good blueprint next to cat. I mean, obviously we know that a, a Brooke Lopez trade isn't happening. He's locked up in Milwaukee, but you know, we're, we're seeing more and more in the NBA where there is, that archetype of big man who is a legit five defensively, but can also, you know, stretch the floor. And I, I'd, I'd actually, I'll shout out Sam. I think it was Sam Smith brought up this name and I really agree with it. Miles Turner. I mean, are we sure that wouldn't have more positive externalities adding Miles Turner to this team than D'Angelo Russell? Don't we know that 
what the Wolves need to become a contender, you know, two, three, four years down the road is to be better at defense. Isn't isn't that the isn't that our baseline understanding that the Wolves will always pretty much have a good offense if cats out there and that they need to become a top 10 defense. I don't know. I, I think the most direct path to, to having that good of a defense is to have a defensive minded big that's legit big next to cat. And I, I, I don't see any problem with going the honest route or, you know, if you can't get the, the big man who can also stretch the floor, what about, what about the Anthony Davis route? You know, what about a a better Jordan Bell, like a JaVale McGee or, or Dwight Howard, you know, in, in L.A.? We're seeing that work with the Lakers. Like, is that a shot at Anthony Davis's manhood? Is that is it, he's not physical enough? Like, I mean, is is Cat bigger than Giannis and A.D.? Like, I, I don't think so. Like, are, are we just hooked on the idea that he's a center because he, like, played it at Kentucky? I mean, it, it's... It's 2019, about to be 2020 right now. Like he can evolve, he can play. I mean, it can be a two big front court. I I don't, I I don't know why the. I, I mean, I just think the ideal one would be the stretch five next to him, who's also good defensively, and and maybe even to a lesser degree, just like I said before, a, a, a better Jordan Bell. Why not like a Rashawn Holmes next to Cat, who can, who can actually run a pick and roll with another uh, be another player who can be the big running the pick and roll and can be a legit lob threat at the rim. Like when was the last time we saw the wolves run a pick and roll and, and the big man rolled to the rim hard and, and caught an alley-oop for a dunk. I mean, turn on NBA games around the league, Montrez Harrell, whatever, go down the list, Tristan Thompson. I mean, those are, those guys might not be able to stretch the floor, but they're, they're impactful. And I don't think that would subtract from, from Cat and what he's able to do offensively, still use him as a floor spacer, still post him up from time to time, still use him as a pick and roll big man too. But I just I just wonder how much we're, we're limiting Cat or, or how much onus we're putting on him defensively by saying the thing that Cat needs to be unlocked is a lead ball handler like D'Angelo Russell. Why, why is that the path? Why can't it be Miles Turner? I, I just... I mean, I'm not. Indiana's not going to just hand you Miles Turner, but Golden State isn't just going to give you D'Angelo Russell either. Just like CJ McCollum and all those other ones. I mean, it is going to be hard to get a really good player on this team. Maybe they need to widen their lens out to not just point guards. Why? Why not? I don't know. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't restrict it to at all. I I would say it could be a center. I I really like the idea of Brook Lopez or Miles Turner next to Cat. So Sam Smith. He threw out both Lopez and Miles Turner. So I, I like that idea and I'm I'm into it. Also semi-related, uh, somebody named Terphen, interesting Twitter handle, says, how does the draft day deal for Culver look now? And that um that's an interesting question. I mean, this draft class has been bad. And it, it sounds weird to say because even what you guys have been watching. Culver hasn't um, been overwhelming with what he's been able to produce, I think. But he's kind of been one of the better guard or just better lottery picks in this this whole draft. He he's contributing some things consistently. We know the shooting is has been woeful and and is concerning. But he, given what this lottery was, was a, a pretty decent return from the middle of it. That said. You know, that's where I'm bringing up the playing two bigs together idea or a legit big next to Cat. I don't know if Dario Saric exactly fits um, what I was just describing, but like kind of. He's kind of a discount version of, you know, Miles Turner. He doesn't bring the same rim defense, but he's that same big body. And I don't know, he, Dario would be a legit power forward next to Cat. And, um, I, the, the reason the deal happened is because, you know, Gershon Russell doesn't share my belief that, or doesn't seem to, that the Wolves need to play two bigs next to each other. We've heard it time and again, one guard, three wings, one big, and that one big being cat. So, so, I mean, operating a little bit more in reality and looking at the draft day trade from how this, through the lens that this front office looked at it, they looked at Dario Saric and said, we don't really have a position on this team for a player with that skill set. 
is that right? I, I mean, I, I don't know. But in their blueprint, Dario Sarch doesn't really fit it. And I mean, if it were me, I, I like the value of moving up the five spots to get Culver. I think, you know, down and I don't think they would have taken Cam Johnson at 11, but uh, it's easy to say Tyler Hero. Maybe that would have been if you have Tyler Hero and Dario Sarge, like, and we're, you know, optimizing revisionist history. That sounds better, but they moved up. It, they moved up in the draft to get Culver because they couldn't have got him or the other guys that were of a higher value if it, it would have been 11. They wouldn't have got there. So given their blueprint and given the belief they had in Jarrett Culver, I, I think the move made sense. And in that vacuum, I, you know, I, I don't think we can necessarily condemn the, condemn the move. If Dario Sarge was still on this team, the Wolves would be playing a different brand of basketball. And they'd probably be better because they'd have it, right now, they'd probably be better because they'd also have had the 11th pick as well. So it's, uh, I don't know. It, I, I think it's about having a longer view is why they did it. But this team would probably have a couple more wins if they, and certainly would have a couple more wins if it was Dario Sarge and Tyler Hero, who they would have taken at 11. But um, I think we'll probably, the fan base will kind of hang on to that for a while. But I'm not totally discouraged by what I've seen from Jared Culver. I think there's, I think there's a good player in there, probably not a star. Uh, the next question also here from Doug Fry is about Culver. And this was kind of the most scary framing I've heard of the Culver um, shooting woes was does Culver, Doug says, does Culver make free throws in practice or is it just completely broken? This is getting Markel Fultz level concerning. I think that's a little hyperbolic. Um, Culver is shooting 42% from the free throw line. He missed both of his free throws last night. It is certainly concerning. I'm not discounting that. And if you want to make the Markel Fultz connection, I do think it's mental. He is not that bad of a shooter. I think we see, even though he isn't you know, making threes at a, at a high level, you see him shoot those shots more confidently. His confidence appears to be... I don't know if broken's the right word, but wavering substantially at the free throw line. I think that is a, a correctable thing. I don't think it's I don't think it's broken. I do the the part of um, every Wolves game day that you know kind of fits the media schedule. The players all go out and warm up at different times, and I'll, I'm always out there for for Jarrett Culver's um, full warm up cycle, which he always starts with free throws. His his personal coach is the team shooting coach Kevin Hansen, and and they're working on shooting. And I'll say in practice, it's good, which I, and it goes in frequently. And that sounds Markel Fultzy too. But I think it's encouraging that there's more of a consistency to the mechanics with Culver. That They're not great mechanics. We, we know. I mean, you've seen it. It's, it. it's a little bit funky. But with Fultz, it was all over the place. And, and, um, and we're not there. Also, th- there was a lot going on as I understand it with Markel Fultz as a person. And I, I don't think that's, you know, necessarily the case with Culver. I've, you know, I've talked about it on here before. I think he's a unique dude, um, living his whole life in Lubbock, Texas up to now. And now he lives in Minneapolis where it's negative five degrees and he's away from his family and all that stuff. I think that's having a rookie impact on him, but I don't think he's a bad kid. I don't think he's, um, you know, totally lost in this process. And this is just what the first 25 games or whatever have been. I would like to think that once we're here a few more months from now and 50 games into the season, that these next 25% would at least be, you know, 60, 65% from the line. And I would, you know, that's not a high bar. I, I would kind of expect that to happen and it would be critical for his game. It really would. Like the one thing he's best at right now is getting to the rim. And related to getting to the rim is getting fouled. It's got to be a factor every time he's driving of like, crap, am I going to get fouled right now? And then I'm going to have to go shoot free throws. Like if he has more confidence at the free throw line, which I believe can come, then he's going to only become better at what his current best skill is, which is putting pressure on the rim, which is something I, I think I'm already, I'm already seeing improvement with. Like he's being decisive in, um, in attacking the rim and he's in a, 
for all the flaws I think the system has, like he's in a pretty good, he's in a pretty good spot to just basically have to just beat one guy in a very split spread floor around him. Like he should be putting up good numbers. And from a team, you know, efficiency wise, when he's on the floor, like he's been, he's been one of the the most effective players out there. Uh, that's, I mean, it's because he's playing a lot with Wiggins and cat who open up a lot for him. But I mean, as I said, at the beginning of this sort of rant is things could be a lot worse. Um, with who they could have drafted. And, you know, the one guy that a lot of people wanted was Darius Garland. If you watch a Cleveland game, I, I haven't watched a, a, a ton of Garland, but just kind of from what I've read and the little I've watched is he looks, he looks waves behind Culver as far as um, comfort or effectiveness on the floor goes. So I don't know the, the draft day trade. Well, as we're always going to do with any trade, we're going to go back and revisit it over and over again. And with this shot, Culver's kind of inability to knock it down consistently. It's something we need to keep tabs on too. And, you know, the, uh, the results have not been good. I do think there's reason to be more optimistic in the, the jumper than we previously thought though. I will say I was wrong <laughs> about the shot. I, I was kind of, as a lot of people were highlighting his poor three point percentage, um, coming out of the coming out of college, you know, I kind of poo-pooed on that being like, Oh, it's a different three point line. Like look at the shots he was taking. I, I watched, I watched him shoot in college, you know, just the, the film of that. And I, I, it didn't look, it didn't look as broken to me in college as it is, as it looks inconsistent now. Um, but I, I do think I, I over, I very much overrated Jared Culver, the shooter. We'll see if he can kind of get back somewhere close to where, um, my expectations were. All right. I think this will be, well, have two more questions here. This one is from JGG 512 on Twitter. He says, who would you like to see get increased playing time and believe would pay the biggest dividends? Kata Bates Diop, Jordan Bell, or Gorgie Jang? Um, I think those are three interesting players to highlight because, <clears throat> because, excuse me, because, uh, they're both, well, Kata is under contract next season as well. It's a non-guaranteed deal. Gorgie Jang is under contract next year for a very high $17 million. And Jordan Bell, of the guys who, were, who was signed on the quote-unquote one-year deals, um, Jordan Bell, I think, is the most likely to return. He is a restricted free agent, so the Wolves have his rights to, to match any sort of deal. So I think just all three of those players are guys who could who are more likely to be here, kind of fringe rotation guys, who are more likely to be here um, into the future, which does, um, which does, you know, kind of just inherently create an argument for, should we play them more to see, you know, what we have? Now, Gorgie has, what is it now, seven years of um, experience under his belt. So we, we have a pretty good idea of what he's been. He's kind of been in, um, after starting the season strong, it has not been, as the team has fallen off uh, over these past few weeks, Jang definitely has too. So I don't think we're, we've been wowed in some sort of transformation there, but um, I, I kind of like what I've seen. That said, I don't think his role needs to be any bigger than the backup minutes behind Cat, which are whatever, 15 minutes a night. And that that's, that's plenty. We don't, I don't think it'll pay more dividends. I don't think we need to see any more. He's a backup center. If he can go do that job, that 17 million doesn't hurt as bad. Kata, I mean, he's, <laughs> who saw this coming? He, he has been, I, I was always optimistic about Kata, like the, the slasher and the kind of basketball IQ he had, but I would not have guessed that he would be a guy who's shooting threes with decent volume and doing, I mean, he's made like 50% of his threes this year. It's, it's, it's crazy. And obviously positively impactful for a team who is so short on, on floor spacers. So I, I think he would be up there. I'd give him second for the one I would like to see get um, increased playing time. I, and I think he will. I think there's ways to play him alongside Jake Lehman uh, once, once he gets back where they can go kind of really big along the wing to make up for, some of the size they have up front. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see if that continues. I, I don't, it's hard to say what the, what the dividends would be. I think it's just how much he can continue to knock down shots is that that'll determine his value. And, um, 
50% isn't going to continue, but if he can, you know, be a 37% three point guy, like, yeah, let's, let's see 15 minutes a game. Let's, let's see, let's, let's have you be one of the key rotation pieces and, and, you know, and be supportive to a second unit that needs it. Jordan Bell is just interesting to me. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to think about it. It's, uh, He's playing alongside Cat, and he, it started on this road trip, which they've been losing every single game. So you could be like, okay, well, is Jordan Bell playing 20 minutes alongside Cat contributing to the six-game losing streak? Numbers would say so. They have you know, terrible offensive, defensive rating, all that. Like, it's I – I attribute more of that to the team just being out of sorts right now. I was, I'm curious – to see what they can get from Jordan Bell and Cat combined if they're playing together when the team is rolling a little bit more. I think the one undeniable fact about Bell is he gives them a spark. The other undeniable fact about him is he cannot shoot at all. And that presents, you know, it presents the problems they the Wolves had a couple years ago when, you know, Gorgie wasn't shooting any threes and he was he was kind of in Cat's way. Like Bell is probably smart enough and there's more just space on the floor now to recognize Oh, I got to go space to the corner. Oh, I got to, you know, be out of the way. But he's no threat at all from from the perimeter and there's and he doesn't really have like an off the dribble game. So he's just essentially just a pawn sitting out there being unused just in the name of getting out of Cat's way. So I'm interested to see if they could kind of find a little bit more of a synergy. If the if Jordan Bell, you I was talking about before with the Lakers thing, can can Jordan Bell kind of be like that JaVale McGee sort of thing that we've that we're seeing with the Lakers, where you know he's the big who's setting a lot of screens out there, and and then Cat in the Anthony Davis role as more of the, you know, the focal point of of the offense as the you know the the trigger man. Can we see Cat and Jordan Bell four or five pick and roll? I mean, you, you see that in LA. Like, I don't know. I, I'm. I'm curious to to know what what the what that pairing can be, and I think that uh, I think Saunders is going to continue to roll with it. He's he was talking about last night after the game, and I asked him today um, at practice about it too. Of like, what, you know, what what is the biggest problem you're seeing with the defense? And he said it's physicality, and you know, outside of just individuals committing to that physicality, the the best sort of way to to kind of lock to to get that to demand physicality is to play bigger players and he brought up Jordan specifically as a semi semi fix for a team that's been lacking physicality so I don't know I I think I think the answer to the question is that Kata probably um provides more dividends is the safer bet but um but Bell paints a picture to me that is far more intriguing all right, our final question here comes from Scott Peters, and I just want to uh, use this to kind of wrap up, well, to, I guess the pod in general, but also just the, the trade um, conversation. And, and actually numerous people brought up Lonzo Ball and in, in the mailbag questions. And what, what Scott Peters says, he says, what are your thoughts on stealing Lonzo out of New Orleans for pennies on the dollar? Um, I'm not sure it's going to be pennies on the dollar. I, maybe, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I like the idea of that type of trade just generally before getting to ball specifically where where the Wolves are in their roster building. I think they those are the those are the type of guys who you target um, diminished assets on the rookie scale deal. Still, they're not as expensive to go acquire. I, I would need to look it up, but I'm assuming Lonzo Ball is probably like seven million or something like that. And that's a. You know that's a that's a piece you can work into a trade fairly easily. Um, I, I'd be I'd be curious to see them you know target some of those guys. I remember Charlie and I talking about this last year at the trade deadline of you know what are what are the pieces that that you would pursue and you know at, with the te- trade deadline approaching and we brought up names like or these guys haven't worked out but you know someone like a Malik Monk or a Dennis Smith Jr. guys who who have underwhelmed but. You, you kind of know that they have the physical tools to be able to be 
a player and it's just kind of worth the gamble. And I think, I think Lonzo Ball is that on, on, on steroids. Now I'm sure some of you are they're sitting there thinking like, well, Lonzo can't shoot. This team needs shooting. Fair. I, I acknowledge that. Um, I, I think we, we, we've seen strides in, in Ball's shot um, where he could, you know, maybe become a, you know, a, a competent floor spacer to, to some degree, you know, maybe kind of like, you know, when Rubio was, when Rubio was competent, where he could, where competent shooting, where it didn't, uh, it didn't, you know, kill the team uh, when teams would leave him open and Rubio kind of punished opponents when he said, if you're going to leave me wide open, I'm going to shoot it and I'm going to make these. And I would like to think Lonzo Ball could, you know, could get to that level. And then just for me personally, my, my assessment is I've always been high on him. While I recognize a lot of the shortcomings, I really think Lonzo is underrated um, for the defender he could be. And it, Rubio really is just a good comparison. I think that sort of, I mean, maybe not to the uh, the Jokic Rubio levels, but I think he has some of that like genius gene of being able to to see the floor in in ways that other players just can't. That would be the the perfect type of player. I don't think we're, the Wolves would be able to get him for pennies on the dollar. But again, it's those type of guys who are still on the rookie scale deals. The team that they're on right now might not be super into them. I think. I think those are the those are the more realistic moves or like what Bradley brought up earlier with the the Malik Beasley thing. Like, yeah, it's hard because the restricted free agency is coming up, but any trade's hard. We just went I, I went through a long list of how hard it is going to be for the Wolves to get D'Angelo Russell. And if they were going to go get Miles Turner, that would be extremely hard too. trades that make a difference are difficult to make. And you got to give up a lot to do it. I think getting a guy like Lonzo Ball would be easier to, you know, funk, make happen, but it wouldn't have, obviously it wouldn't have the locked in upside that a player like DeAndre Russell or Miles Turner uh, would have. So, you know, we'll see. And this, this, this conversation is only begins on December 15th. There's going to be, I would, I would assume there might be action early. I mean, not right on December 15th and not necessarily related to the wolves, but uh, the way the league's set up right now, it could go, the trade season could go in a lot of different directions. There's, if you want to, if, if you're somebody hungry for trades and convincing yourself it's going to happen, uh, look at, look at the parody in the league. I mean, you've heard this before. Everyone's talking about it of, you know, pretty much anyone can convince themselves that not pretty much anyone, a lot of teams can convince themselves that they're a contender in the league. And then pretty much anyone can convince themselves that they can make the playoffs. So along those lines, moves could happen. Just in the name of, you know, we think we can do this. We think we think we can. We just need a little bit more to get there. Now it's going to be hard because there's not a lot of cap space out there, which makes deals complicated to make. Um, and John Hollinger wrote a great piece on that on the Athletic this week, where that it doesn't really make sense from that standpoint. But I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see the league having more challenge type trades where you say, hey, Jeff Teague doesn't work for us, but he's not a terrible player. Can you give us your guy who's not a terrible player that doesn't really work for you? I don't know how that pertains to the Wolves, but I could see league-wide there be some action here for the next, you know, over the over these two months until we do get to the, the February deadline. And it, it makes for a great conversation, and it's reason to watch teams and players uh, – around the league. So we'll keep doing that. Uh, I'll be back here on um, Monday with, with Brit in studio and we'll uh, we'll either be talking about uh, the wolves miraculously beating the Clippers to end a six game losing streak, or we'll be talking about a 10 and 15 team who was once 10 and eight. And uh, it seems like that will be, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to lose the Clippers. seems like that'll be the point. The, The wolves, have four full days off after the Clippers game before playing somebody on Wednesday. I'm drawing a blank, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like a mini all-star break that happens after the Clippers game and a chance for this Wolves team to figure it out or to, well, they got to figure it out. They they have the time to do it. And if they want to remain, you know, competitive in this, in a West who's almost begging them to stay in the playoff conversation, you know, it, it's time to make actions, uh, 
schematically Ryan Saunders wise. And then in the not too distant future, it's a, uh, you know, Gerson Rosas can help out, make a move. We'll see. D'Angelo Russell will remain in the conversation. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's everything I have on it. Thank you for listening. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. Uh, please do uh, keep giving us those ratings and reviews on uh, on iTunes. It's cool for me. I said this before, but um, if you guys just have comments of what you like uh, about the podcast, that's always good to know so I can kind of lean into those things. So thank you for that. Uh, do that on iTunes again, uh, Dane Moore MBA. And if you want to read about this whole D'Angelo Russell thing, I'll have a, a post up on the, the site laying out all those trade exception bogus. So until next time, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.